Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Okay, today I would like to speak to you about the mission of Jesus. How many know what Jesus' mission was? Okay, you were here for a service. <laughs> to be honest, what's that? Yeah, you, that's true. You listen to me talk about this all week, probably in my sleep. Here's the thing. I was hoping for a better response again. That's <laughs> two, over oh two, no. Um, I want to I talk to you about the mission that Jesus had, but see, I, if all goes well, I want you to have understanding. The Old Covenant, or the first 39 books of your Bible, the Old Testament, God kind of wrote that and spoke through people, different people, over thousands of years, really, to develop the mission of Jesus that culminated when Isaiah laid it out for us on Isaiah 61, and then Jesus validated it in Luke 4. We'll get there, right? And that's his overall purpose. But the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, and he gives you a mission for your life. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 is where I want to start today. Because there's something that we have to foundationally have an understanding of when we're looking at this. And in Romans 8, 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Foundationally, when we're looking at this, I want you to have an understanding that people can read the Bible, and lots of people do, and this is good. But if the Spirit does not come and give you illumination and revelation on those things that you are reading, it is simply information without application. We need the Spirit and I want you to see, as we talk today, the Holy Spirit worked in men all through the Old Covenant, worked through people all through the Old Covenant to show us what was going to happen in the future. And the Holy Spirit speaks to you today to show you what's going to happen in the future. Foundationally, we need the Spirit. In Genesis 3, it begins... Somewhere around verse 15, you see God is speaking to the serpent and he prophesies that the seed of the woman is going to come forth and crush the head of the serpent, okay? From that point, you see, depending on whose list you want to look at, between 324 and 365 messianic prophecies. Now, messianic has to do with the Messiah. Messiah has to do simply with the Savior, the Deliverer, the one who brings freedom, right? The Messiah. So, in the context of the Old Covenant, the Jewish people, okay, their idea of a Messiah around the time that Jesus showed up was this political deliverer who was going to deliver him from the hand of Rome. Little did they know, it was so much bigger than that. Because it wasn't about just a people group. 
It was about ransoming the hearts of mankind back from Satan, from whom they were captive. There's eight that I want to show you right now, and I don't even have time to develop all 365 today. That would take a while. And I'm not even going to develop them. I'm just going to reference them, and then I'm going to try to show you something. The time of Jesus' birth, you see that in Daniel 8 and 9. He would be born in Bethlehem. You see that in Micah 5.2. He would be born a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. He would be traded for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.12. He would be mocked, Psalms 22, 7 and 8. He'd be crucified, John 3.14. Uh, he would be pierced, Psalms 22.16. He would die with the wicked but be buried with the rich, Isaiah 53.9. There's eight of 365. Now, there was a guy named Peter Stoner. Some of you heard of him. He was the chairman of mathematics and astronomy. I think it was at Pasadena College back a while ago. He's passed away now. He's gone home to be with Jesus. But he calculated the odds of one human, all you mathematicians that like probability and statistics will like this, um, of one human fulfilling all eight of these prophecies. So I gave my wife the illustration, and she said, well, where's the data? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we had a conversation about the data. So what Peter Stoner did is he took the population of Bethlehem over the years, you know, say it was 7,000 people, and then he took the population of people on the planet from the time that Isaiah wrote that till the time of 1955, 1958, when Peter Stoner did his calculations, and then he did the math and determined that it's 2.8 to the power of uh, times 10 to the power of 5. Okay, is the number. That's the chance of one person being prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. Does that kind of make sense? He just calculated the probability of that being true for one person on the planet. And then he took eight of those prophecies, calculated the numbers, and he worked it out like this. So here's the kind of number that you get when you look at the odds or the, the chance or the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of these. You guys, we're, we're all here in Ontario, Canada. Let's take the province of Ontario, all of the land in Ontario, and cover it 35 centimeters deep in loonies. That's a lot of loonies. How many say sounds good? Now what we're going to do is we're going to mark one of those loonies and put it in that pile that's 35 centimeters deep covering the entire landmass of Ontario. And then what we're going to do is Victoria's going to come up here. It's okay. Just come for a second. And we're going to blindfold Victoria. No, I'm not going to really do that. And then I'm going to tell Victoria, now that you're blindfolded, walk as far as you want to, north, south, east, or west, but you've got one chance while you're blindfolded to reach in and grab that loony that's marked. Thank you. She's not so confident. That is the probability of one person fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. Now there's 365 of them. So don't tell me God didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> now, there are many, I'm going to call them types or shadows in the Old Covenant. In a sense, they're illustrations or pictures that are kind of pointing to things that are to come. And these types or these shadows that are being referenced all through the Old Covenant 
are kind of the link between the old and the new. Now, I want to qualify a couple things because people go all over the map with this. So sometimes people are really extreme on either side of this conversation, so I just want to try to put it in balance right at the beginning. For instance, some people say, unless it's a type that is specifically referenced in the New Testament, it doesn't count. That might be a little bit extreme because I think there's some other types that are there, just not referenced. And then on the other side, they come over here and they say, well, the book of Job mentions dogs, so therefore all dogs go to heaven. And I'm not here to give you my ethic on dogs, but what happens is people kind of run all over the map on these things. So we want to try to kind of go more in the middle where we don't end up in either ditch. Oh, boy. So these pictures are things that are to come now. Now, I want to give you an idea. How many have seen a picture of Disneyland? How many say they make it look like a pretty happy place? I noticed the kids are always happier than the parents. <laughs> but you know what? The pictures only communicate an image, but it's totally different when you go experience it. Okay? And the picture's cool. It works. But it's so much better when you're actually there. And, and that's what I'm trying to get to here with all these types and shadows, these pictures in the Old Covenant that are kind of pointing to Christ. They're pointing to the better covenant that's to come. And, and really, these types are all through. So let's go through some of them because types can be events. They can be items. They could be ceremonies. They could be uh, like a Sabbath could be one, for instance, you know. So there's, there's all kinds of types. They could even be people or offices. Like in the old covenant, you had the prophet, the king, and the priest, and the three of them always worked together to rule the nation. You know this, right? So when you're reading through your Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, you'll see the prophet goes to the king. Usually he appoints the king, you know. The king consults with the priest. You know, they, the three of them kind of work to govern the people. In the New Covenant, Jesus is our high priest, and there's a priesthood of all believers. So we're all kind of in the priesthood now. Right? There's no more kings in the kingdom. He's the king. Just one king, Jesus. Right? So now there's prophets, but they operate a little bit differently in some ways, in some respects. So that kind of looks a little different in the new than it did in the old. And, and what we're trying to get to now, let's, let's start. Genesis 3, there was the prophecy I told you about. How about Noah and the ark? The ark is a type what? A type of Christ. Because it was a place of refuge. It was a place of safety. It saw them through. So when you're going through a hard season in your life, what do you do? You go to the ark. You go to Jesus. And in Christ, he will persevere. He will keep you safe from the storms going on all around you. These are, these are types, okay? These are pictures of things that are to come. God chose a man. Who was that man? No, Kevin, it's not you. <laughs> he chose you, but not in this context. It was Abraham. God chose Abraham, did he not? Now think about this. God comes to Abraham. Imagine this, Jack. Imagine a guy comes to you and says, listen, I want you to leave where you live 
in Essex County. Start walking that way. Leave your family behind, and when you get there, I'll tell you that you're there. And oh, by the way, when you get there, everything that you see is going to become yours. I'm giving it to your children's children. Can you imagine? But that's why Abraham is the father of our faith. Right? And then he had Isaac, and then Jacob, and from Jacob, he brought forth the nation of Israel. We doing okay? Now, the nation went into slavery, and then Moses comes up and miraculously delivers them from, from bondage and wipes out Egypt, right? Desecrates Egypt. But Moses, what did God give to Moses? The law, the guidelines for the tabernacle, for worship. I mean, he basically laid down all these patterns and instituted the system of sacrifice for God's people. That came up under Moses. And then as they went a little bit further along, you see he identified one household in that nation of Israel, and it wasn't Saul, because Saul was disobedient, kind of like Moses was. Remember back when Moses was in the desert, and God told Moses to strike the rock the first time, just like Jesus was struck? That's a type. See, it's, a, it's something that's pointing to what's to come, the cross. But then later, they come to the same situation again. So Moses tries to recreate the old and disobeys God's direct command where God told him to speak to the rock and not strike it. You know, that cost Moses something, didn't it? He didn't get to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. Well, what do you mean? There was a consequence for his bad choice? Absolutely. It cost him. You know, there was another type with Moses where he was in the desert and the plague came because people weren't doing what God told them to. And they were dying, like 70,000 of them were dying. <laughs> so what did he do? He lifted up a snake on a, on a pole. And if you looked on that, it would stay the plague. It was a, it was a type of the cross. I'm trying to show you what these types are. Okay. And then David, he identified the household of David to bring forth the lineage of Christ. But I mean, there's so many things all through the Old Covenant. I mean, think about the scarlet cord hanging out of Rahab the harlot's window when they went into Jericho. There's many, many things. So here's what happens. Some time ago, I was speaking with a friend. Um, he's another faith, and, and we have conversations. And he had played this video for me about a scholar from his faith that was, uh, how can I say it, kind of attacking Christianity. And I realized something, God kind of gave me a download in the middle of this conversation, and I realized something that a lot of people never come to an understanding of. And, and what I spent a couple hours framing for this man was simply this. God went through that process I just showed you to bring forth the Messiah. In other words, he used Judaism as a conduit or a type, really, to produce Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, the one who delivers us from sin and bondage. And now that Jesus is here, we follow him in Christianity. So we don't practice Judaism any longer, we practice Christianity. And there's some really big differences between the old and the new when you start breaking it down. So for instance, in the old covenant, if a man and woman were caught in adultery, what was the penalty? Yeah, death by stoning. Everyone's like, whoa, really? Yeah. Aren't you glad we don't live in the old covenant? 
It doesn't matter to me either way, babe. In the new covenant where we live today, (laughs) they bring a woman to Jesus. I I wonder where the man was because she was caught in the very act, like caught in the very act, but where's the guy? Because the law said both of them had to die. That's another conversation. But then Jesus, you know, he writes something and then he, he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now I'll qualify. He looks at the woman and says, we're your accusers. Okay, there's grace. But then he makes this crazy statement, go and sin no more. In other words, change your life. Don't do that no more. Okay? And, and the new covenant, there's, there's this grace given and this mercy given through Jesus. And I'm just using that as one way to, to highlight some of the differences here. But we change the way that we live. So with any religion, there's always a tendency to focus more on the rules and regulations of it and not the intent or the purpose of it not the heart of what was being communicated. What did, who did Jesus fight with all the time when he was here on the planet? And who were the Pharisees? The religious leaders. What was the common, here's a common conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees. <laughs> you tithe on the spices you grow in your garden, but you overlook the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. In other words, you're very good at being legalistic in what you do, but you're not very good at understanding the purpose of what God was trying to accomplish in your heart. So many religions have developed into this system of rules and regulations, but the reason that rules and regulations by themselves don't produce a changed life is because it's the Spirit that I mentioned at the very beginning, the Spirit of God comes and He produces the changed life inside of us. So our willingness plus the Spirit equals change in behavior and conduct. Your lack of willingness plus the Holy Spirit equals a lot of conviction, but no change. Willingness without the Spirit equals frustration. See how that goes? So, God used Judaism as a conduit to bring Jesus the Messiah. And, I mean, everything in that system, the sacrifice, the feasts, the tabernacle, everything pointed to the cross and the future that God's going to do. So, this is kind of the framework that I'm using to go into this. So, in Isaiah 61, when Jesus starts talking about his mission, well... Isaiah's prophesying Jesus' mission. Now, how many of you like Isaiah? How many think, man, if I could be a prophet like Isaiah? Not too many takers. You must have read the book. (laughs) Isaiah was the guy that the word of the Lord would come with him and he'd go to share it with God's people and they'd be like, go away, Isaiah, we don't want to listen to you. And Isaiah would come with the word of the Lord and they'd be like, la, 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 we can't hear Isaiah. I mean, he'd bring the word of the Lord forth and someone else, this other prophet, would come and say, oh, don't listen to him. God told me that everything's going to be good. And then Isaiah's like, actually, I think his name was Hananiah. 
He goes, uh, God didn't tell you that. You're just telling them what they want to hear. And then Isaiah pulls the classic, you know what? Hey, God will judge between you and me. And when Hananiah died a year later, instead of going, uh-oh, the people went, la, 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 we can't hear you, Isaiah. But God gave Isaiah some revelation 700 years before the Messiah walked on the planet. Think about that. Can you imagine 700 years before you were born, someone prophesied when you were going to be born, where you were going to be born, how you were going to be born, your lineage, what your purpose is, your role, how you were going to die. Think about that. That would be kind of creepy today, wouldn't it? In a lot of ways. But really, this is what happened for Jesus. So he goes in, in Luke and he starts declaring his mission. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. Well, I find it amazing that the Spirit of the Lord's present. Because if the Spirit of the Lord wasn't present, I don't think he would have accomplished his mission. Everything that you do and everything that I do, we do because God has given us the power to do. Without him, I am nothing. Maybe you're something without him, but I'm nothing without him. Okay, and what happens is because God's spirit was on Jesus, the Holy Spirit was on Jesus, he had some good news for the poor. Now, the needy, the afflicted, the downcast, the rejects, the passed over ones, the outcasts, the ones who really needed a savior, it was good news to them when Jesus came and said, hey, I've got some good news for you. But the truth is, today, unless we come to an understanding that we can't earn it, that we're never going to be good enough for salvation, that we really need Jesus to be our Savior, we're going to have a hard time accessing the salvation that he's made available to us too. Isn't that what the poor in spirit is? The poor in spirit is when we realize that we're, we're bankrupt without God. And that's the ones he came to save. Because if you're not poor in spirit, you don't need God. You're never going to access the salvation that Jesus has made available to you. Because you don't need him. Dun, dun, dun. His mission to restore men and women into relationship with the creator. To provide forgiveness of sins. His mission, to comfort the brokenhearted. Isn't that the next thing that he talks about? He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. I know in the natural, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are about to lose their nation. They were about to be conquered. They weren't following God and serving him and doing what he said. So therefore, God rose someone up to conquer them. And they were going to be carried off and become captives and slaves. Their entire way of life and everything that they owned was going to change. Everything was going to change. It was going to look very different for them. And their hearts were broken. Even their temple, which was the center of their worship in that day, was destroyed. This speaks to us today because we're broken because of the sin. Your sin should bring you to the place of brokenness. What does James 4, 6 say? In James chapter 4, verse 6. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the, but gives grace to the. You want grace? 
It's humility that produces grace in your life. The proud, no grace. (laughs) The mission of Jesus to comfort the broken, hey, has life got you down? Do you need his comfort today? He's got you. He'll see you through. He'll heal your pain. He'll release you from the guilt. He'll release you from the shame. God's right there with you. And so many times in our brokenness, we don't look to the creator. We don't look to the savior. We don't look to the Messiah to heal our broken heart. We look to so many other things. And often, the very things we're looking to are the very things that enslave us, which produces the next part of his mission. He was gonna release the captives. In Isaiah's day, they were going into captivity. And he was talking about, I think it was 70 years they were going to be captives before he released them, or 40 years, whatever it was. But you know what? What are you captive to today? Is it alcohol, drugs, lust, greed, fear, depression, anger, resentment? Oh, pastor, none of those things apply to me. Pride. (laughs) What enslaves you? struggle's real. But see, he came to liberate us. So when Jesus came on the scene, his mission was to shatter the chains that keep us captive. His mission was to bring freedom, mind, body, and spirit to your life and to my life so we don't have to walk around in chains. We don't have to walk around enslaved to sin. We can walk in the freedom because the power of God came. Let the Savior into your life to shatter the chains that bind you. And it's the resurrected King that releases us from prisons. You can be free, mind, body, and spirit. And then what happens is he goes on in verse 3 through 11, and he talks about all the covenant promises and all the things that God's going to do once he's liberated the captives and healed the brokenhearted. What's What's he talk about? He talks about Jubilee first. Well, what's Jubilee? Here's how Jubilee looked for the Israeli citizens of that day. Their debts were canceled. Does anyone have credit card debt and mortgage debt? Don't tell me, I don't wanna know. Personal debt, drug debt. Okay, your debts get canceled. Any land that you sold to pay off debt gets returned to you. And anyone that's enslaved becomes free. So you all become your own boss. You don't have to work for anyone anymore. Every 50 years, that's what they did. It was kind of a reset. What a great picture that is, Jubilee, of what God did for you and me. Because we had a debt of sin that we couldn't pay. Could you pay the debt of your sin? I certainly couldn't. (laughs) I wasn't even qualified. But after he paid the debt of your sin, not only that, he pulls you out of where you were. He restores to you the things that are yours. And he frees you from the things that held you captive. What a great picture of salvation. See, this is an example of a type in the old that kind of gets taken into the new, but it's better in the new. And that's what I was trying to communicate. Like, it's better now in the new. So then, after he talks about Jubilee, there's this great exchange that takes place, and he gives us beauty for ashes, 
and he gives us joy for mourning and praise for depression and we, can, we don't have to stay in despair and he kind of paints a different way of life. He paints hope and he paints a brighter future for all of us. So this is good. There's this promise of rebuilding and restoration that's going to happen but you know, God doesn't just bring you out. He restores you. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today and he's working in your life today. He sees the beginning and the end of your life. And he accomplishes purposes in us and through us on his timeline. Can we go to Acts 8, 29? I want to show you a couple examples of how the Spirit of God speaks to us, gives us instructions, at least in the Scripture. Here's one. Holy Spirit said to Peter, go over and walk alongside beside the carriage. So he spoke to Peter and said, go walk, or uh, Philip, go walk, behind, go walk beside the, the chariot, the carriage. And Philip brought the message or the hope of Jesus to the Ethiopian. Right? In that moment, that's what happened. But he was listening to the Spirit. He walks over there and the guy's reading the Bible and goes, but I don't understand it. Again, someone reading the Word of God without the Spirit to reveal to them and give them revelation. So Philip comes, and he's got the Spirit of God in him, so what does he do? He reveals the Word of God to the man. Boom. His eyes are open, and it transforms his life. Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 is another example of this. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Verse 20. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry. I've sent them. Now, Iris, three guys come to the door. Hey, come with us. Are you going to ask some questions about that? Like, where are you going? Who are you? <laughs> I, don't know if I, I don't know if I really want to go here. Absolutely. But see... The Spirit of God told Peter, three men are coming to the door, just go with them. <laughs> Think about it. Now, notice, Peter didn't say to them, okay, guys, I'll go with you next week. I'm only going to go with you two, but not you. <laughs> what did Peter do? He obeyed the Holy Spirit. There's a third example I want to give you. Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. One day as the men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So God specifically said, these people, Barnabas and Saul, send them on a mission, go. Okay, so the Holy Spirit speaks to men and women in the new covenant that we live in today. So sometimes it's for direction, sometimes it's for instruction, sometimes it's for guidance. Always God's trying to accomplish his purpose and he only works through you and I when we're obedient. First Corinthians chapter 2, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the spiritual, Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Catch that. See, the Spirit of God within you is going to reveal to you God's purpose in your life. As you, when you're reading the Scripture, it's the Spirit of God in you that illuminates it and gives you revelation. 
Even at salvation, when someone preached to you for the very first time, it was the Spirit of God that made that word come alive to you so you had understanding of how to apply it to your life. We need the Spirit of God. Now, I wrote down a couple things. I better go too quick. When the Holy Spirit reveals to you an aspect of your mission here on earth, because he speaks to all of us. How many of you the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Number one, it should be kingdom focused. Otherwise, you might want to reevaluate. <laughs> okay. So if God's going to speak to you about your mission, it should be aligned with the mission of Jesus. Is it about winning souls and influencing people, serving the lost, helping the poor? Is it consistent with the mission of Jesus? Because if God's giving you a mission in life, it should be pretty consistent. Now, I know sometimes he'll tell people, go make lots of money, and everybody likes it when God gives them that mission. But usually when he tells someone, go make lots of money, he tells them, go give lots of money away. Oh, well, I don't like that part, Pastor. See, the purpose that God has for our life here is ultimately to build his kingdom. And no matter where you sit building his kingdom, everybody has a role and everybody has a function. You have to allow God to make things happen on his timeline because if you try to do it on your timeline, you're just going to frustrate yourself. I might have known 30 years ago that I was supposed to preach and teach people but at that point in my life, if I would have rented a room or a, a, a hall somewhere, it probably would have been a pretty dismal experience. <laughs> I might have had a few friends saying rah, 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 but it was a little bit before my time. There was a whole process of development that I had to go through for years and years and years and years before God said, okay, yeah, we'll let you teach some people over here right now. And if you're faithful there, we'll develop that a little further and we'll develop it a little further. See how God works in us and through us? If you try to accelerate God's timeline, it doesn't work good. So we have to be patient. I mean, think about it. Isaiah spoke about the Messiah 700 years before he walked on the planet. Oh, obedience is extremely important. We must obey every step along the way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up like Moses. Okay, God, I'll do one and two and three, but not four and five. Obedience is vitally important to your mission. And then God perfects our character as we mature in faith. This positions us to accomplish his purpose. And I have a final verse that I want to kind of get to right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here's the hope for all of us. All of you, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, isn't that what we're here for, to reach more and more people? I don't know about you, but I believe that God has me on the planet because he wants me to influence people into his kingdom. He wants me to build the kingdom. He, he probably doesn't need you here if you're not building the kingdom. Can you show me scripture and verse for that? Probably not today. But the truth is, God's got a mission for your life to reach more and more people. There's going to be great thanksgiving and God receives more and more glory. Why? Because it's not about me or it's not about you or what we do. It's about building his kingdom and lifting up the name of Jesus so he can be glorified. And the more we glorify Jesus, the more people that are going to come to him. 
Because he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. So we need to, yeah, yeah, prophetic, I know for the cross, but we lift him up in our daily life and he draws men and women in. This is why we never give up. Never give in. Keep believing. Don't quit. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We're building an eternal kingdom with Christ. And the Holy Spirit has laid out a mission for your life and he's speaking to you and he reveals it to you in parts as you can understand it. And as you're walking down the journey and you're obeying him each step of the way, be patient in the process because he's perfecting you. But I assure you at the end of the day, there's some people that are gonna come into the kingdom as a result of your labor of love. There's people that'll come into the kingdom as a result of your obedience. Because do you know the end from the beginning? Because I don't. And you know, some of you took a step of faith and shared your faith this last weekend, and you know what? I determined a long time ago, some of us plant seed, lots of us water seed, and then at the end of a long process, we harvest. Just like in the natural, it's like that in the spiritual. A man told me the other day that one specific people group, from the time they first hear about Jesus, the average conversion takes place seven years later. Are you patient enough with that process to continue to be steadfast and pray for people and share with them and love them for seven years? And that's average. So what if one takes a year? Someone else might take 15. God knows the end from the beginning, so we need to obey. We just do what the Holy Spirit instructs us to do. Now, stand up with me. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper. And I want to challenge you today. If you're dream has gone down. If the Spirit's spoken to you and you're discouraged in the process, you know, if you're waiting for God to accomplish His purposes in your life, and sometimes that can be very frustrating for us when it doesn't look like we think it should, hold on. If we trust that God's working, He's going to accomplish His purpose inside of you. Some of you say, I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Well, go spend some time with him and listen and spend some more time and listen and refine. And as you develop an ear to hear the voice of the Spirit, sometimes we have to cut out the voice of the flesh so we can hear more clearly. You'll notice in some of those passages, they were fasting and praying. Why? Because the voice of the flesh is so loud, it cuts out the voice of the Spirit oftentimes. People tell me they can't hear God, and after a while, I'm like, well... How quiet is your flesh right now? That applies to me just like anyone else. If we don't learn to quiet our flesh down, then we don't hear as clearly as we could. As we come to the Lord's table in communion, a couple things today. This is our covenant meal. This represents really the fruition of the covenant that he launched with us at the cross his broken body and the blood that he spilled for us. Why? To free us because of the mission of Christ. What's he doing? He's restoring us to relationship with God, the good news for the poor. 
He's healing the brokenhearted and restoring us to wholeness and releasing us from captivity inside of our lives. But I'll caution you, when we come to the Lord's table, the Bible says we shouldn't have aught or resentment or bitterness or anger inside of our heart at the time. You know, if you have anger or resentment or bitterness, you're better not to partake until you go make things right, until you come to peace inside you. There's a caution about properly discerning the Lord's body because we all want forgiveness, but the Bible tells us we need to grant forgiveness to others in order to receive it. Freely we have received, now freely give. For today, I just want to encourage people that are in the process right now. God's spoken some things to you. He's given you some direction, and it seems like it's never going to happen. It seems like it's taking way too long. It seems like this process is trying to kill you. Well, it's probably trying to kill your flesh. But just allow God to keep working in you and keep your faith high and have hope because he has a way of turning things around very quickly because he knows the beginning from the end. And there's lots of people that as we work together building his kingdom, we can accomplish much for him in his name to give him glory. So Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the bread in our hands right now that represents your brokenness in our lives or your brokenness for our lives. And I thank you that you restore us to wholeness in our bodies. We receive healing now. In our minds, we receive the mind of Christ. And I thank you that you, Lord, have spoken your word, your peace over us this day. In Jesus' name. And then we come to the blood representing his blood that was spilled for us, poured out. Because he was the sacrifice, fulfilling all of the old covenant sacrifices that kind of pointed to Jesus going to the cross. So Lord, for the blood, really, that's the power of God in our lives. You purchased our freedom. You purchased our hope. You brought us to a place, Lord, where we can see beyond the pain of our past. And we can walk out of the shame and the hurt and the grief and the sorrow. And you make a way for us. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're revitalizing hope. You're energizing people in their faith. You're pouring out your love now in this moment so that we can leave encouraged in you, knowing that you speak to us and you've got a good plan for us. And you're working things out inside of our life on your timeline, and we can trust you with that. So I thank you that you make a way even where there seems to be none. In Jesus' name we receive now. Thank you all for worshiping with us today. Have a great day.